Hey, it's good to be with you again. Last time you may recall, or maybe not, let me remind you, maybe you weren't here. So either way, we were in the book of James, and we talked about uh, how our Lord purposely brings trials into our lives, difficult things, sometimes on the end of the continuum where it's not so bad, they seem pretty manageable, and sometimes those trials get out to the other end of the continuum where you're just not sure whether or not you will make it through. Anybody had any of those kind of trials? Maybe it feels like you've been in a season of those kind of trials. Well, James taught us that if we will persevere, if we will remain under those trials, God's going to use it to mature and, and, uh, and perfect our faith. And, and our natural reaction is to flee from trials, want to get out from those trials. But if we will remain under them, if we will give God that opportunity, oh, it puts a shine on our faith that reflects back glory to Him. What I want to do the next couple of weeks, we're going to go back into the Old Testament. I'm going to show you from the lives of a couple of our uh, forefathers of the faith some, some of what they experienced, and hopefully we can bring that into our own lives as we encounter these trials of life. This morning we're going to look at Joseph. Many of you will be familiar with him from the book of Genesis. Um, and, and we're going to see that Joseph did some things about assuming God's presence. Because in the midst of some difficult stuff, some of the scary stuff of life, oh, how important it can be to be aware of the presence of somebody bigger than you. Somebody who, who, who is not intimidated by the circumstances that you find yourself in. You may or may not know, I grew up on a hog farm uh, over by Westfield, Illinois. And, and as most hog farms are, we were kind of out in the country isolated by ourselves because we didn't smell very good, all right? So you didn't have a lot of real close neighbors. And sometimes at night we'd be driving home and, uh, you know, because there was minimal light, if somebody had left a light on in one of the hog barns, it was usually my job when we got home, my dad would turn to me and say, hey, son, go out and shut that light off. Well, it was a half a quarter out across the barn lot to get to those hog buildings, and it was always as dark as pitch out there. You know, now in the daytime, it's not a scary place, but at nighttime, when you're a little guy and you're going out through, out across there, all by yourself, I'd trudge along real brave on my way out there and I'd get to that hog barn and I'd flip off that light and I'd turn around and boom, baby, I was flat lightning back across there because I was sure there was something hiding in the dark that was going to get me. Scared to death. But if my dad walked along with me out across the barn lot, never even crossed my mind that there was a thing to worry about. Because I knew he was with me. He wasn't going to allow anything to happen to me as long as he was there. Changed my entire experience of the scary stuff that so often was just hypothetical and was never out there at all, you know? We're going to find some of that same kind of stuff in Joseph. As Joseph goes through life, it's not always apparent where God is. But ultimately, what we're going to see is God was right there all the time, working in the midst of those difficulties that he encountered. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1, when the text says, Now Jacob lived in the land where his father has sojourned in the land of Canaan. All right, let's just get some context. We've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. 
third in line of our patriarchs, okay? And they're living, uh, Jacob now, in the promised land. And Jacob is going to have 12 sons who will ultimately become the tribes of Israel. But they're still in process of working in that direction. Verse 2 says, now these are the records of the generations of Jacob. So he's going to tell us the story of the family. Have you ever noticed that there aren't any perfect families in the Bible? Doesn't that give us some hope? (laughs) You know, you just can't find one. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth. He was the youngster. He had a bunch of older brothers. So uh, let me pick up partway through that verse. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Not a good thing. A 17-year-old little brother ratting out the big brothers. I don't know what they were doing. Were they goofing off while they were supposed to be watching dad's sheep? Were they mistreating the neighbors? I don't know what was going on. But dad found out about it through Joseph. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a very colored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. We've got some family turmoil going on here. You know, dad had made a mistake, making his preference for this youngster obvious, treated him differently, and as a result, there was tension between the siblings. Compounded them by the fact that God begins to send some dreams to Joseph, some prophetic insights as to what's coming down the road. And it's obvious from these dreams that God is going to raise Joseph up and his brothers, even his father and his mother, will someday find themselves bowing down to Joseph. That really didn't do much to to endear him to his brothers when he starts sharing these dreams. I mean, come on, man, could you just maybe keep those dreams a little quiet? Might have made it go a little better with your brothers, but he didn't do it. He's announcing these dreams, and the brothers just further are embittered against their little brother. Until the time comes where the brothers are up in the northern part of the country and and dad sends young Joseph up to check on them one more time and the brothers see him coming and they decide that they're going to be done with him once and for all. Had it not been for the intervention of one of the brothers, they would have killed him. But instead, they end up and parlay him into a a little cash in the palm and sell him to some travelers that are coming through. And you thought we'd created human trafficking, right? Nothing new. And so he's sold to these travelers or to coming by and on his way to Egypt. And that text comes to an end when it says, that, verse 36, that Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. God, where did you go? Didn't? You communicate to this boy, this young man, that you had some special plans to elevate him. And now you've allowed his brothers to sell him into slavery. He's on his way to Egypt. He's been sold into into Pharaoh's repertoire. Where did you go, God? Ever felt that way? 
with circumstances unfolding in your life that suggested to you that God had somehow lost track? That, that He didn't know what was going on with you? He didn't know what you were struggling with? Circumstances that were unfolding in your life? Have you ever sat there and wondered? Maybe you didn't even have the courage to voice it to anybody, but yeah, I know God's involved in everybody else's life, but apparently He's forgotten me. Assume God's presence. Assume His presence. We're going to come back to that again over and over and over throughout the morning as we see the text. If we can learn this from Joseph, that no matter what the circumstances may be trying to suggest to us, we are always right to assume His presence. Look what happens next. Verse chapter 39 now, we jump a chapter. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. You know, if, 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 when you're reading through the text, you really ought to pause there for a little bit just to try to imagine how traumatic that would have been for a 17-year-old boy to have just passed through what amounted to the slave market and to be treated just like the next beast of burden that was purchased. And the trauma that he would have experienced, having been betrayed by his brothers and now just treated like a, 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 a possession as, as opposed to a person. There would have been ample opportunity for Joseph to have wondered, God, what, what is this? Where are you? But verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man and was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned he put in his charge. Oh, there you are, God. <laughs> now I see you. I thought you'd forgotten me, but here you are. You've not forgotten me. You've, you've shown up. I'm experiencing your favor. Isn't it easy to assume God's presence when things are going good? Had God forgotten Joseph at all in the interim? No, he hadn't. He was at work positioning him. Assume his presence, no matter what the circumstances seem to suggest, assume that he is with you. Joseph had been sold by his brother, had become a slave in Egypt, but now God's hand of favor was obvious again upon him. Oh, there you are, God. I see you now. Things were going great, right? Until Potiphar's wife decided that Joseph was a pretty good-looking young man and that she might ought to have him in the biblical sense of the word. She ought to have him. And she began to pursue him. And we get the first little insight into, into 
Joseph's relationship with our God when she had first propositioned him. And he says to her in response, how could I do this great evil and sin against God? <laughs> Mind you, he's a 17-year-old boy. Sorry if you're a 17-year-old. That's an old guy thing, okay? You're a seven, he was a 17-year-old young man. Guys, you remember what it was like to be 17 and had hormones about to blow the top of your head off, right? Just about to tear you up. Oh, the, the kind of rationalizations that Joseph could have come up with. He was far away from home. He'd been mistreated by his family. And look at this opportunity that has presented itself to me. Remember, 17. Joseph takes a step back and said, no, no, no. Not only would that be evil, but what about my God? There's something going on in Joseph's heart that would allow him to stand up under that sort of a temptation. And he refuses. Until finally she, she continues to, uh, to pursue him and, and then begins to make false accusations about what had taken place. And shamed at one point, she makes those accusations very public. In verse 19 and 20 of chapter 39, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me. His anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. God, where'd you go? Man, I resisted that. I didn't go there in spite of the fact that that's what my flesh was drawn to. I didn't. I stayed faithful to you. And this is how you treat me? There's a, there, one of the old church fathers one time, I forget who it was, it said, it said maybe it's not that far long ago. I, I don't, anyway, they said, you know, God, you'd probably have a few more friends if you'd treated the ones you had better. Here, here Joseph was being faithful as a young man, far from home, mistreated, abandoned by family, sold as a slave, continued to stand strong, and now here he is as a result of all of that in prison, falsely accused. Where'd you go, God? Is that what I get for being obedient to you? Is that what I get? Any of that ever cross your mind in the midst of some of those difficult seasons of trial? God, I've been faithful to you. I thought that guaranteed me good treatment. And here I am getting tough stuff. Can I remind you to always assume His presence. God is putting the pieces in place in Joseph's lives, in a way that, that Joseph couldn't even fathom. <laughs> Verse 21 of chapter 39, But the Lord was with Joseph, 
and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Assume his presence. He's not forgotten. He's not abandoned you. He is at work in your life. Carefully orchestrating what needs to be done. Oh, there you are, God. And then a couple of fellows arrived from the big house down the street. From the house of the Pharaoh who had fallen into disfavor with him. It was the cupbearer and the baker. So the man that that served him the wine, carefully watching over and protecting the Pharaoh and the man who, who prepared all the tasty delicacies. And, and they had gotten in bad with the Pharaoh, and so he'd cast them into jail. And they had a couple of dreams. And, and they couldn't figure out what it was, and Joseph ended up interpreting those dreams. He said to the cupbearer, Oh, he said, things are looking up, man. Hold on. You're on your way back to the Pharaoh's house. No problem. Oh, and when you get there, remember me, you know. Put in a word for old Joseph once you get to the Pharaoh's house. Falsely accused, you know. And then he turned to the baker and said, "Uh, not so good for you. You're going to lose your head. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, man. (laughs) She was a dream says. And sure enough, the baker met his demise, and the cupbearer was on his way back to the Pharaoh's house. But he forgot Joseph. Two years passed. You know, if you say it fast, it doesn't hurt so bad, right? He sat there in prison for two years. And we're not going to tweak this out at the moment. But you know, sometimes... It's got as much to do the the seasons of waiting in circumstances that we wouldn't prefer. Sometimes it has as much to do with what God's doing in the lives of people around us and in the circumstances at large as it does in us. It wasn't time yet for Joseph to be out of that prison. God had him right where he wanted him for now as he continued to set all the pieces in place until two years later, say it fast, helps. Two years later, the Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody can interpret the dream. There's fat cows getting eaten by skinny cows, and there's, there's fat stalks of corn getting eaten by skinny stalks of corn, and, and all the experts are sitting around scratching their heads saying, well, ah, we don't know what this is about. And just as they can tell, the Pharaoh is beginning to get frustrated. Who should come back to the mind of the cupbearer? Oh, there's this young man uh, 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 back in the prison. And he interpreted our dreams, and they came true. Maybe we should get him. And the Pharaoh says, hey, nobody else is solving this. Get him in here. And so they bring Joseph in before the Pharaoh. And, and he says, well, uh, God, God can tell you what this is all about. And Pharaoh relays to him the dreams. 
And Joseph says, this is what you're looking at, man. You're going to have seven incredible, bountiful years. They are going to be phenomenal in the land. But you better be ready. You better take advantage of those seven incredible years because after that is going to come seven years of famine like you've never seen before. And here's what you need to do to get ready for all of that. And Pharaoh says, well, hey, if that's what's happening, and obviously God is with you, you're the man. You put this all in place. Here's how he said it. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house according to your command. All my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in the garments of fine linen and put on his golden necklace around his neck. And he had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee! And he set him over all the land of Egypt. (laughs) And then a little side note. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. You remember how old he was when we started? 17 years old. 13 years. 13 years of being betrayed by your family, being sold as a slave, being falsely accused and cast into prison where you were forgotten for an additional two years until finally God had everything right in place exactly where He wanted it and took that young man from the backwaters of of Canaan Uh, the descendant of nomads, wanderers. And all of a sudden, he's number two in the most powerful nation of the day. Thirteen years. Assume his presence. God never lost track of Joseph. He was putting everything in place just as he needed it to be so that he could have his man in that place when the time was right. Can I see your hand if you love to wait? You love to be driving up Route 41 and ahead of you you see a yellow light come on. (laughs) You say, yes, I'm going to get a red. You go into Walmart or wherever, and you say, oh, awesome, they've only got two cashiers today. I hate those self-checkers. I've got a basket full of stuff. Yeah, and only two checkers. I'm going to get a wait today. Oh, oh, great. Don't give me that fast track at Disneyland, baby. I want to stand in line. You know, somebody said lines... Lines are here to remind us we're not as important as we think we are. (laughs) There's other stuff happening. 
that God knows about and God is orchestrating and God is carefully putting into place. It took 13 years. And Joseph, unknowns to himself, was right in the middle of that. Can you assume his presence in the circumstances that you find yourself in? Can I assure you that just like with Joseph, he's working in your life, working in my life? Can I always, have I always been able to tweak out and interpret in the midst of that stuff what God was up to? No, hardly ever. Generally, it's from the vantage point of down the road when God finally brings some things together, and then I can look back and say, ha ha, there you are, there you were, all along at work. But if I can take that assumption, learn from Joseph, assume his presence, oh, the difference it makes as I go through those times of waiting for him to bring his plan to place. God, I'm going to assume you're at work here. I don't see what you're up to, but I'm going to assume you're at work here. That's what Joseph did. Those seven years of plenty came, and they were incredible. And Joseph was a master administrator, and he had all this storage built, and they're laying by all this grain and certain percentages that were being put away. And he was going to have this nation ready because at the end of those seven years, sure enough, the famine came with a vengeance. And it wasn't just a famine that focused in on, on, um, on uh, Egypt. It was worldwide. And it made its way all the way back to Canaan. Where Jacob and his sons lived. And Jacob said to those boys, Boys, we're going to starve to death. I hear there's some grain down in Egypt. You pack up and go get us some food. Or we're not going to make it. And so they go down. Unknowns to them that every single one who gets grain has to stand before who? Joseph. And they came in. Chapter 42, verse 8, Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them. Because they came in and they bowed before their brother. Ding, 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 ding. I remember those dreams I had when I was a 17-year-old boy. And here God is bringing it to pass. We're looking over 20 years now, folks. Over 20 years have passed and those dreams came to Joseph from God. 20 years and now the dreams are coming true. You know, sometimes we can bail out on a dream way too early. We can give up, throw up our hands. It took 20 years. But God was faithful to that which He had planted in the heart of His child. And there it was, right before Joseph's eyes. It's not uncommon for me to encounter people, kingdom people, 
who say to me, you know, when I was a young man or I was a young woman, I thought this is what God wanted me to do, but never happened. And they just bailed out on even contemplating or pursuing or they just gave up on that. Assume His presence. If He planted a seed of a vision in your heart, assume His presence. Give Him an opportunity to bring that to pass. All along the way, we get no hint, virtually no hint, of the struggle that Joseph could have had. You see, if I'm putting myself back into that situation, who, baby... I'd be planning vengeance. Anybody remember the Count of Monte Cristo? <laughs> you remember that story? I mean, elaborate schemes of getting even. We, the only hint that we get of the awareness of Joseph's struggle in the middle of all of this, when, when Pharaoh elevated him, he, he gave Joseph one of his daughters as a wife. And before the year of famine came, it says that two sons were born to Joseph, whom uh, and Sethana, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim and said, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Have you got some pain buried away from the past? Some hurtful, damaged relationships back there? He puts you in the same, same boat with Joseph. He knew. He knows about that pain. But he never allowed any of that pain to rob him of what it was that God wanted to accomplish. As a matter of fact, he said, God made me forget. All my trouble, all my father's household, and has made me fruitful, even in this land of affliction. Assume his presence, folks. No matter how difficult it has been, no matter what you have experienced, if you can assume his presence and, and literally give God the benefit of the doubt, he loves you, he is kind and faithful, and he is at work in your life. We, as followers of Jesus, we live and move and have our being in the realm of His control. And He is at work. Is there brokenness all around us? Yes, all around us. Does it affect us? Without a doubt. We've seen it in Joseph's life. Does that somehow, does that somehow hinder God from accomplishing His? No. <laughs> Assume His presence. No matter what road you've been down, He has been there with you. Oh, and the growth that we see in Joseph's life. He puts them through, his brothers, he puts his brothers through some tests to get some kind of an idea. You can read it. It's a fascinating read if you'll start in Genesis 39 and just read all the way through the end. Incredible read to see. He's not sure whether these brothers have changed or whether or not they can be trusted. And finally comes to a point where he's ready to reveal himself to them. And here's what he had to say in Genesis 45, 4. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. 
Can you feel a, a, a knot in the pit of the stomach right about then as the reveal has happened? These brothers no doubt are thinking, oh my, we're going to get it. But he says, now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Did they sell him? They absolutely did. But Joseph is reflecting on the, on the, the intricate involvement of God when he said, but God was the one who sent me here. Now, granted, we're years and years down the road, like over 22 years now, down the road. But all of a sudden, with that vantage point, he's able to look back and say, yeah, you did some bad stuff, but God was the one who sent me here. And he continues to repeat that. He says, the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there are neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. Joseph went through 13 years suffering, false accusations and lies, betrayal. You, you, you may feel your life story parallels with that. I can't even begin to imagine, but maybe you can. And if you can, then I suggest to you to glean to glean from this life of Joseph the reality that in spite of what people thought they were up to, in spite of the hurtful, harmful, selfish, broken motives that may have driven their actions toward you, God was at work even then. Assume His presence. Before you get the book of Genesis completed the boy's dad Jacob had died and they thought oh boy now he's going to let us have it but he wraps it up in summary and says do not be afraid for am I in God's place as for you you meant evil against me but God meant it for good God meant it for good how long did it take for him to get to that point or how much time can we account for? 39 years. This isn't an easy transition to get to that point where you can speak into the evil in the hearts of humanity all around us and say, yes, there is evil out there, but I know my God well enough to know he is able to work even in the midst of that to accomplish his good. Know your God. Develop your relationship with him. Assume his presence. 
And then as a result, no matter what the season of trial that you find yourself in, if you can glean the lesson from Joseph and lay it as a template over your own experience, you'll be able to say, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I'm going to assume you are with me and will accomplish your purposes in my life. And then no matter what kind of a, what kind of a mission you get out into the darkness, <laughs> no matter where you get sent and it seems intimidating, it seems more than you can handle, you'll know you're not alone. Your God will never leave you or forsake you. You can count on Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the example and the testimony of those who have gone before us. Thank You, Lord, for the simple, honest presentation of people in Your Word. And we can plug ourselves into those stories, Lord. We can see when we would have been on either side. Lord, there have been times in my life where, where I behaved like Joseph's brother, selfish and driven by, by my brokenness. There have been times where I was the recipient of that kind of behavior. But I can look back now, Lord, many years down the road and see you were always right there, carefully orchestrating your plans to accomplish your glory. So Father, I pray for us as a people. Lord, help us to get a hold of that simple truth that we can assume your presence no matter what we're going through. We know you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.